Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of White Coats of the Round Table. Today, it's just me. You only get John. Mike's off doing something, ice climbing, fishing, somewhere without his kids. And alas, the bus was late today. So you have just me. Uh, But today, we're joined by a special guest. Nick Kropp will be joining us. Uh, Nick is a CPA. uh, And as all of us business owners need... Uh, or should at least have a CPA. Uh, we all need that a professional in our life, that guy for that thing. Well, for your accounting needs, if you're running a business or you're taking in any amount of money on side hustles, it's a good idea to have a CPA. Nick, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you got going on, what your interests are? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, like you said, I'm a CPA. Um, I'm a uh, part owner, a majority owner of a firm out here in Maryland. Uh, we have we have two offices in, uh, near the D.C. Baltimore area, basically, because uh, everything in Maryland is basically near D.C. and Baltimore. But um, we, I also do real estate, so I have my broker's license in real estate. That's where I started off in uh, once I graduated college with a uh, Remax with my brother and my dad doing that. Did that for about like six or seven years. And then I transitioned once we sold off those franchises into the accounting industry, uh, basically restarted up my my father's uh, old accounting firm uh, that he just really hadn't been doing much in. He's a serial entrepreneur. He had started a mortgage company for about 20 years, buys and flips, flips properties. We've owned a number of other businesses as well. Uh, we just continually do that because that's fun. Uh, business is fun. And so for me, I wanted to get into accounting so I could actually better understand business and better help people with their business as well. It's like, you know, if I could couple those two things, that'd be pretty great. And I just didn't have a real passion for for real estate. Makes good money, but it just wasn't my passion. So I wanted to kind of shift into something else. And uh, I think it was a good shift. It was um it was it was a it was a good uh good move for me because it opened the doors for me learning about new things and then getting onto social media such as TikTok. That's where I uh, started off with, at least with the accounting stuff. Before that, I did a lot of uh, Disney stuff with my wife on social media. So I had a little bit of a foray into into that aspect of the culture. And so then I just kind of took some of those principles I had learned over those years onto TikTok, into the accounting realm. And I just saw what, you know, there was this void of everyone talking about taxes or talking about all these things on social media, but no one giving the nuance or any kind of real points about things. And I was like, man, I, I wish there was just some way that I could just say, hey, here's how things actually work. I have nothing wrong with saving money on tax. There's nothing wrong with that. I want you to save money on taxes, but you need to understand what you're actually doing. And so I was basically just trying to fill that void, kind of educate a little bit, see like what could happen, maybe just reach my sphere of influence with, uh, you know, hey, I'm doing accounting and here's how things work. And it just so happened that it, w- it was able to amass a-, a decent following for myself. And over the past couple of years, I've gotten it up to about about 84,000 followers on TikTok. And I, mostly because of that that 23 million viewed uh, Disney video on Instagram, I have about uh, 20,000, uh, 20, 23,000 followers on Instagram. And now I'm I'm starting my, my YouTube page uh, as well so I can do more long form content. So I give people even more nuance and context because 
three minutes being about the the attention span of anyone on TikTok or Instagram or really a minute and a half. Uh, can't get a whole lot of nuance and things like that in there. And YouTube is where I could really reach a, a, a broader swath of people as well. And so that's where I've, I've started to focus a little bit more this year, at the end of this year here. And I've got 850 subscribers thus far. So I'm, I'm yeah, God's, God's blessed me with, with that ability to reach people. So I'm, I'm glad to be able to give that uh, as I can. I'm hoping today we can start off the conversation, maybe discussing in how to set up our businesses between LLCs, uh, S corps, C corps, uh, sole proprietorships, and maybe what the benefits of these are. Um, we've talked a little bit about this in the past. So we've talked about LLC, some sole uh, proprietorships, but I think the S corp is a great place for us to start because people, I think, red flags go up when they hear this word because they don't really know what it means or the advantages. Uh, do you think you can take us through that? Yeah, absolutely. So. One of the biggest things is everyone everyone says like, hey, you should you should be an S corp. You should you should switch over to an S corp because you're going to save money on taxes. And a lot of people say, okay, how how am I saving money on taxes? That's the biggest question, and it's the correct question: is how am I saving money on taxes by switching over to an S corp? And does it actually make sense for you to do so? So the important thing to understand is what is the S corporation, right? I can be an LLC and I can elect S corp status. I can be an Inc and I can elect S corp status. So S corp is a status I elect with the IRS saying, I am subject to these certain rules, right? So that's what the S-Corp is. It's an election that I make with the IRS. So if you have an LLC, you have the opportunity to be an S-Corporation, right? So if you're just a single member LLC, currently filing at, basically as a sole proprietor, right, on, on your personal tax return and things like that, you have the opportunity uh, for this next year uh, to elect to be treated as an S-Corp in 2024, if that makes sense for you, right? So that's that's first thing. D depends, no matter who you are, what kind of business you have, you, you could elect that S-Corp status, but it's not inherent in your type of entity that you have. You have to make that choice. So with the S-Corporation, the rules are this. I'm a pass-through entity, meaning my, my entity does not pay any taxes, right? Unlike a C-Corporation where it makes money and it has a net income and it pays taxes on that net income at its corporate level, a, a S corporation passes its business earnings over to the shareholder or shareholders of that company, right? So if it had $100,000 of net income on the business, that goes from the business over to the shareholder or shareholders split between them onto their personal tax returns, and that's where they're going to be taxed. So that's the S corporation. It's a pass through entity, like a partnership also. And similarly, technically, like a Schedule C, like a sole proprietor where the business itself doesn't pay taxes. It's just filed on your personal tax return. That income flows to the front of your personal tax return. That's where you pay taxes, right? Same idea with the S corporation. But one of the main rules, and this is this is the most important part of it, and it leads into how you save money on taxes. One of the rules is I, I have to pay myself a fair and reasonable compensation as the owner of an S corporation, right? And that fair and reasonable compensation is the only thing that will be subject to Social Security and Medicare tax. And the rest of my income will flow through just subject to my regular federal and state taxes, right? On a sole proprietorship, all of my net income is subject to Social Security and Medicare tax. It's just it's just known by another name, self-employment tax or SE tax. It's a form SE tax. Um, and and that's, that's where you'll see an additional amount of tax at the end of the year. And this is usually what smacks you across the face every tax season as a sole proprietor is you'll be like, okay, I made... 
$100,000. Okay, that's not too bad. Okay, the taxes on that, uh, let's say you're, you're, you're a single individual, made 100 grand of net income in the business. The tax is not too bad. It's maybe like $15,000. But then you're going to get smacked across the face with another $15,000 of self-employment tax. That's Social Security and Medicare tax because you, as a self-employed individual, owe both sides of that Social Security and Medicare tax, right? A 15.3% tax. And so the S corporation comes along, I don't know, back in like, maybe it was the 70s or so. This came along. And with the S corporation, only the wages I pay myself will have that 15.3% tax, right? So if my wage is obviously lower than my net income of my business, then that means that I will be able to save a moderate amount of money on uh, self-employment tax, on, on FICA taxes, Social Security and Medicare. So that's the main predicate. And so as I've done in um, some recent videos, is I've gone through basically mathematically, what does this look like for you? How are you actually saving money? And I like to give the example of a $100,000 net income business because we can use some nice round numbers and it's helpful to see, you know, okay, well, where am I saving money and how does this save me money? And typically, the reason why I use $100,000 is that's generally my break even point as well, at least based on my firm's pricing for when you might want to switch over to an S corporation or when it might make sense to do so. So if you want, I can kind of go through that general yeah, example. Yeah, that'd be right. great. So let's say I have a business that is a sole proprietorship or a single member LLC, disregarded entity, right? And it makes $100,000, which means let's say I made $500,000. And after all my expenses, paying employees, rent, supplies, everything like that, I'm all left with $100,000 of net income, right? So that's the, mo that's the number we're looking at is the net income number. So revenue less my expenses. So that net income on a sole proprietor or a Schedule C, essentially all of that is subject to a 15.3% self-employment tax like we talked about, right? It's really 92.35% of that, then times 15.3%. It's about a $14,000 tax, essentially, that you're going to pay in self-employment tax, right? All right, so that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with $14,000 owed in self-employment tax. Understand, that's the only tax we're saving. So it's the only number I care about right now. Uh, with this, right? There's no, your your federal income tax will be exactly the same. Your state income tax will be exactly the same because your income doesn't change, just the dynamic of it changes and how much is subject to Social Security and Medicare tax. So now let's say that same business that made $100,000 is on an S corporation. And let's say you found a fair and reasonable wage for yourself to be $60,000, right? So that means me as the business owner, I'm going to put myself on a W-2 and I'm going to pay myself $60,000. So $60,000 has an employee side of FICA tax, right? So I, the employee, will pay 7.65% Social Security and Medicare, and the employer, which is which is also me, will pay 7.65%. So altogether, I pay that 15.3% tax on those wages, which is about $9,000, right? So what that means is $14,000 less than $9,000, I saved $5,000 in Social Security and Medicare tax. That is the general idea. It's like, oh, okay, uh, pretty easy to see. And a lot of people say, okay, well, what happens with the rest of the $40,000 of income, right? If I pay myself 60 at 100, so I have 40 left over, what happens? Just flows over to your personal tax return. So on your personal tax return, I now see $60,000 W-2, $40,000 of business income with the S-Corp. If I had a Schedule C, I'd see $100,000 of business income, no W-2. That's it. It's $100,000 either way. That's why your federal income tax does not change in this scenario. Not really. I know that there are other things involved. There is some nuance to this but it gets into the weeds and it's negligible and it's tax difference. And that's, yes, with the Schedule C, I have half a self-employment tax deduction against my AGI 
And with the S corporation, I'm going to take a deduction for the payroll taxes. I pay. None of that really matters because at the end of the day, we're, 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 we're splitting hairs in the tax savings. It's helpful to kind of ignore that for just the sake of simple math. Okay, what am I actually saving? Right? So that's the main idea. With the S corporation, whatever my delta is between my total income of the business and what I pay myself and my wages is going to be my self-employment tax savings. But like, but what I like to tell people is since 2018, we added one new more one more thing into this equation, which which sucks, um, but it, it 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 causes me to say, okay, we got to go one step further. We have something called QBI, qualified business income. Now, it, in your all's profession, once you reach a certain level of income, just generally speaking, uh, physicians, things like that, accountants, um, any kind of licensed professional where you make money based on essentially your own specific expertise, we don't get to take this anymore. So after about like it's 400 some thousand dollars married filing joint um, and uh, about half of that for a single individual, you just phase out. You, you don't get any QBI anymore. So eventually it doesn't matter. But at this level of income, let's say that $100,000, it does. QBI is a 20% deduction on your taxes on your, on your business income, right? And so that's the other factor I like to consider. So just if I can keep going through this example here, um, so let's go back to the example. I've saved $5,000, right? So let's keep that in mind. I saved $5,000 in that FICA tax, the self-employment tax, right? Because I paid only $9,000 instead of $14,000 you know, on, the, on the S corporation. But what I also did is I changed the amount of business income that I have that's going to get that QBI deduction, right? So on the Schedule C, I have $100,000, right? I have $100,000 that's going to get that QBI deduction. So 20% times $100,000, I get a $20,000 deduction, on my tax, which on my taxable income. Okay, so now my regular taxable income, I get to reduce by twenty thousand dollars. But on the S corporation, remember, I only have forty thousand dollars of business income. Only that forty k will get that twenty percent QBI deduction. So now I've so that's only an eight thousand dollar QBI deduction as opposed to a twenty thousand dollar QBI deduction, which means twelve thousand dollars is lost in deduction. In other words, with the S corporation, I have eight, I have uh, twelve thousand more dollars in income that will just be taxed federally, right? In the 24% tax bracket, that's typically what, you know, I'll give you the example. In the 24% tax bracket, that's about a $3,000 increase in taxes for that S-Corp owner. So I, I reduce my FICA taxes by 5,000, but I increase my overall, my federal taxes, my overall federal taxes by 3,000, which means that Delta there is $2,000 in taxes saved. So at the end of the day, this is what you're generally looking at. Okay, so these are the two things that make make the difference is how much am I going to save in self-employment tax and FICA taxes by switching over to the S-Corp, right? In terms of how much can I pay myself on a wage? How much money am I actually making? And then what is what is going to be the increase in taxes I'm going to have based on the QBI reduction uh, right there? So based on those two things, at $100,000 is why I say this about the break-even, about the break-even point. I saved about $2,000 in taxes. Worth it until you consider the fact that once I switch over from the Schedule C, where I don't have to pay myself a payroll, I can have moderately good books, honestly. Like my books can be okay because I don't need a balance sheet or anything like that. I really just need my profit and loss statement. I don't have to worry about basis. None of those things. It's great. Way easier. So now that I switch over to the S Corporation, I had to pay for payroll. I had to pay for an additional tax return to be done for me in the uh, 1120S as opposed to just my personal tax return. And then I'm probably going to have to have my books done at least. You have to pay for QuickBooks, or I'm going to have to pay 
my admit my admin person to do a little bit more bookkeeping for me and probably have my accountant clean up those books for me at the end of the year. I'm going to have a little bit more of an increased cost in all of those things. So if all of those things amount to $2,000, you broke even. You broke even. You took on a little bit more of a headache. You broke even. Um, and, uh, you know, like, okay, that's fine. But we got to consider all of those things. Instead of just, the unfortunate thing is a lot of people are just carte blanche. You should be an S-corp. Why? Well, why should I be an S-corp, right? Now, there are other benefits. There are other reasons might pe people might choose to be an S-corp. And I like to go through that as well with you. I was like, okay, th there might be a reason. Maybe you have a partner in this and you want equal distributions of everything. You don't want it to be a partnership. It might make more sense to be the S corporation. Tax savings aside, doesn't really matter. You're going to be on, you're going to have employees. You're going to have the W-2s anyways. Easy enough to have the S corporation as your income grows. Totally fine. You know, there might be reasons beyond that, that you, you choose this S corporation status. You also have a reduced audit risk being on a separate business entity return, like an S corporation, as opposed to the Schedule C. So- there are reasons beyond just tax savings to be on the S corporation. But my general thing is, if you're at the beginning of business and you're not making much money, be on the Schedule C. Let your feet get wet in your business first. Understand, make money. Go make money and do that because honestly, you're not going to save anything switch over to the S corp. You're going to add on another headache to yourself and there's no need to. You just need to understand your business. Get that down before you start thinking about what are all the tax strategies I can do. While that's great, that should be secondary to making money. Go make money first, and we'll worry about saving you, you taxes as you actually have money to save taxes on. So that's that's my general advice about this stuff. Yeah, no, it's so. Let me just uh, bring it back just a little bit because I don't I don't remember if we went specifically into Schedule C and what that represents. Sure. Um, because if we're talking about S corp and saying Schedule C to get your feet wet. What is Schedule C? So Schedule C, all right, that's a, that's a good question. So Schedule C, again, this is sole proprietor. Let's say you're operating under your own name. You get 1099s from people, right? Just under your own name, your own social security number. I get Nick Crop 1099. I am a Schedule C filer. I'm a sole proprietor, right? I will file on my personal tax return, Schedule C, to where I will report my business income, all my revenue that I made, and all my business expenses that could be vehicle expenses, it could be supplies, it could be uh, repairs, maintenance, it could be utilities, all those types of things. That is on Schedule C on my personal tax return. Or if I'm a single member LLC, but I haven't elected any status, I'm not, I don't have a partner, so I'm not a partnership. I have an elected S-Corp status or C-Corp status. I'm just a single member LLC to the IRS. I act just like a sole proprietor. I'm a disregarded entity. I file on Schedule C on my personal tax return. So that is the Schedule C filer. And so the reason why I say kind of getting your feet wet is it is the simplest return that you can do. Again, all I need, I need to know my, my revenue. It's very easy to figure out what your revenue is. Um, you know, it's the money that you made during the year. That's typically the, the thing that people know the most. Um, and it's all the expenses that they have. And so what I typically say is like, look, at the end of the day, you could have set up a separate bank account. If you have an LLC, obviously set up an LLC, a bank account for your LLC. And then you can have track your income and all your expenses. Everything that runs out of that bank account is very easy to track the ins and outs of that to figure out your income and your expenses from that business. That's all you need. That's all I need for the Schedule C filing. I don't have to really cloud my mind with, oh man, I got to run myself a W. I have to run myself a wage. I need to make sure it's fair based on the income that I'm actually earning. You know, I need to make sure that my books are all caught up before the end of the year. You should make sure your books are there anyways, to be quite honest, as a business owner. But the stress of having to do all of these things, especially as you're just starting out your business, can be overwhelming and make you lose focus on what you're actually trying to do, which is make money. 
So the Schedule C, being a sole proprietor, being a single member LLC, especially like in the first or second year, I generally say just, like just just go in with that mindset. We can always at the end of the year, first year of an LLC, we can always at the end of that year make the determination that we'll switch over to the S corporation. Maybe there's maybe there's reason reason to do so. You're making a ton of money. We'll just do a year end catch up payroll. We'll file a late election. Totally possible. Or we'll just elect it for the next year. We have time. Let's make that decision later. Rather than you thinking about all these things, I want you to focus on the business first, and then we can kind of work on tax strategy after that. Once you have your once you have your bearings in your business, now let's sit back and talk about like here are some strategies that we can do. Let's let's work together on implementing these things and making sure that they're being run correctly and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, was that was that no? That's that's perfectly explained because I I want to transition to another question um, based off something you had said just a little bit earlier. You had said, you know, if you're going to take 50-50 splits, uh, being a part of S-Corp would make sense. But, you know, depending on your partnership, you might want to be an LLC sole or you'll be a sole proprietor in that in that position or even going to C-Corp. Now, what would determine if it wasn't 50-50, say if, it, like, say if there's multiple products going on with your business and one year um, you only have one partner and one year you were doing 80% of the work and they were doing 20%. But the following year, they're doing, you know, we're kind of doing 50-50. And the next year, it changes again. Um, it's not always going to be that 50-50 split all the time. So what helps us determine what to choose and how to file that way? It's a really good question. So this comes into structuring entities and stuff like that. And that can be a very robust conversation. And you and your partner should you and your partner should really have, if you can both trust the same accountant, you should have one accountant so that you can structure really both your all's entities, both your all's business together to make sure that it's it's an effective tax plan for everyone. Because an effective tax plan for one may not be for the other. So it should make sure that there's a, a meeting of the minds there. But basically, I'm just going to go through two scenarios here, an S corporation and a partnership. Right, so a multi-member LLC. If I make no election to be treated as an S corporation, and I bring a partner into my business, we are now a partnership, right? We so we are a multi-member LLC. We file on a partnership return, right? I'm going to get a K one for my pass-through business earnings, just kind of like kind of like an S corporation. I'm going to have K one. It's going to tell me here's all my business earnings, and that's going to go over to me, and so is my partner at whatever split we have. Now, the cool thing about a partnership, cool thing about a partnership is, I can. I can have disparate distributions to each partner. Each partner can have, if we could be 50-50 partners and he could get all the distributions one year and I can get no distributions. It doesn't create any basis issues in a partnership necessarily. I mean, it does create some basis, but it doesn't have any issue. I can have disparate allocations of things. I could even allocate profit and loss different than my actual capital in the business. I could have I could have 1% capital, but 50% profit and loss, or I could have, I could have 50% capital and no profit and loss distributions to myself. So we can split things in a lot of different ways with a partnership, and it can change year over year. That's fine. Uh, again, because you can you can change your allocation even of income, even different than your your uh, profit and loss distribution uh, allocations. Partnerships have flexibility, right? A lot of flexibility. The only problem with partnerships is you don't pay yourself a W two on a partnership. You're not supposed to. Partnerships essentially, per the IRS, technically are kind of like operating as two people with a Schedule C business just together. And that 
what they want, what the IRS wants, is for all of your distributions to be subject, I'm sorry, all of your business earnings to be subject to self-employment tax, right? Whatever's on that K-1, they want all of that to be subject to self-employment tax. Now, is there ways around this where you can say, uh, I'm a passive partner, I have I have other people working this, like uh, we, have a, we have a business where none of the owners actively participate in the business. They have a manager who manages everything in that business. So none of the partners, the, all the partners are limited uh, uh, partners. So none of it's subject to self-employment tax unless they get a guaranteed payment for something. We subject that uh, to self-employment tax. So there are a lot of flexibility with partnerships. But when you have two people that are operating the business and working the business, the IRS is starting to crack down on partnerships. And so it, it, it's getting tough to kind of get around some of this. Can I Can I make it so that not all of my K-1 distribution is, is subject to self-employment tax. It's, get, it's getting harder. What's nice about the S-Corporation is I have rules. Rules are nice when it comes to defending your position to the IRS. Rules seem like a bad thing, but they're not in terms of as long as I follow these rules, I'm good. I don't really have to defend myself. I follow the rules. And the IRS won't really look at you because the rules exist, right? Partnership has some vagary to it. So your chance of being audited might be slightly higher uh, than an S corporation if you do things slightly different than just the most conservative route, right? So with an S corporation though, whatever my ownership share is, I don't have the flexibility of the partnership, whatever my ownership share is, that is the income that's going to be passed on to me. Changing it year to year, not really wise. It really changes a lot of things. Um, so really, if I'm 50-50, I really need to stay 50-50 or else it's going to create uh, basis issues in, in future years. I can't have disparate distributions from one partner to another, right? So if it's a $10,000 distribution going out, it's five and five uh, to each partner. Or if I'm 80, 20%, it's eight and two. There is no, he's getting 10, I'm getting none. Uh, unless you basically create a loan that the company owes you. But again, even those things, the IRS does have a problem with, especially if that grows and grows and grows. And you're, you're constantly growing this loan to the shareholders so that this guy can have disparate distributions. So there are, there are rules with the S corporation that we must follow. And that's where when I have a partner, if I don't want to have the issue of, you know, we can be flexible with, with the multi-member LLC. If I don't want that flexibility. But I'm like, nope, it's going to be 50-50. We are going to get 50-50 distribution of everything. Even if I work less, if even if I perceived as working less one year than you, doesn't matter. This is what we've agreed to. We are 50-50 partners on this. It actually allows for you to set your operating agreement, you to set the standard for the way that you guys are going to operate your business and say, that is what we're doing without much argument going forward because you can't change it. It's the Those are the rules that we have to follow, unlike the multi-member, which allows for that flexibility, right? A little, little bit more movement in the joints. Now, just, just to give one last thing on that, the ultimate thing, <clears throat> if you have a business that you want to change your allocation of things and stuff like that, uh, right? Like it's going to be different every year for the partners and how much one is working or stuff like that. That is where you may want to talk about structure of having the the company itself be a partnership. So again, it has that flexibility, right? It can be, and it, partnerships can be owned by anyone. They can be owned by S corporation owners, right? S corps can own a share of a, a multi-member LLC of a partnership, uh, whereas an S corporation can only be owned by individuals. So I could make it so that I have a partnership be the main company, and then I create my own, and my partner creates his own single member LLC or partnership, whatever it is, they create their own S corporation that owns their share of that. And so that way, you can have your disparate 
shares of everything. You can have your distri distri distributions down to your S corporations, and then your S corporations are where you will individually have some of your own individual expenses. Like if you have your own vehicle expense, you don't really want your partner to be getting the advantage of the vehicle that you have. So you have it on your own S corporation. Um, if you have certain other expenses that you kind of take personally, uh, they don't really benefit him, right? But, but therefore the business generally, but you, you, you want it to be kind of on your personal side. That's where you can have this structure set up where you have a partnership at the top and you have your S corporations, your, your holding companies per se, owning your shares. And that's where everything flows down to. That's where you run your fair and reasonable wage and all that kind of stuff. That's a structure that uh, many people will go down, especially once they start owning a number of businesses. They will have their own essential like, holding company, uh, be an S corporation that holds their shares in each of these companies. So all the income is consolidated into one company and they're able to run their wage based on the work that they do for these various things. And they're able to allocate basically, say I use my vehicle to work for these three businesses. I have a rental business over here with some partners and I have this uh, medical business over here. And then I just have, I own a gym with someone, right? And I travel around to these with my one vehicle. It would be so tough to, to separate my vehicle expenses amongst all of these. It'd be great if I just had one entity that owned this vehicle and was using it for all of its business practices, which is owning these shares of business. So that's where there is some uh, strategizing around that. Mm -hmm. Right. That's important. So there's, there is no answer of what kind of company should you be. It depends yeah. on so many factors. So I've, I'm have i a TikToker. I'm, I'm a longtime listener. Uh, I'm more of a troll. I don't really post much. I think I've got two things I've ever posted. Um, but we come across these guys all the time. Uh, and I don't know how you feel about this gentleman because he's not a CPA. Uh, but we'll call them the Gary V types, the motivational um, expert by experience, not necessarily traditionally trained, um, who have a lot of followers. And I see people talking about how to set up businesses and how to create shells and how to create pass-throughs to maximize your potential or rather minimize your taxable um, uh, help me out here, <laughs> your taxable load. So how do we find, I should say rather, how do we look for the right information? Um, how do we identify what's just a bunch of bull crap and that we should be ignoring uh, rather than setting these things up by ourselves, going to QuickBooks or going on to the New York State, or I'm in New York State, um, to to log your company uh, with the state. Like if I'm looking for good information, where do I go or how do I identify bad information? My, my, my general rule of thumb when it comes to, you should take everything with a grain of salt. Everything, most things that people say online, even, even the, the gurus that give what ends up being generally bad advice, there's always a, a hint of truth in everything they say. But my general rule of thumb is if they ever say, always or you need to do this or this is the way that rich people do things all this kind of stuff you can you can say pretty much right off the bat okay what they're about to say is not universal what they're about to say is is not necessarily going to be the thing to do to save money to reduce taxes that rich people do that made people rich but there might be some truth to it so you should take whatever they say and say Okay, let me go talk with the person that I know is an expert in this field, my accountant, and see what merit there is to this. Um, 
Don't ever take things basically at face value when there is no nuance to the thing that someone is saying. If someone's able to provide enough nuance to you that you're able to see, okay, that that is how that would work. And you could put yourself in place of their example, right? You could say, if I put myself in those shoes, that would work for me or that wouldn't work for me. But if someone ever says something basically as being universal, this always is, or this never is, or always never should really never be in the lexicon of your verbiage as an accountant, because it always depends. Like I was saying, it always depends. I don't know that the structure you want in your business depends on the partners that you have. It depends on uh, what what type of uh, um, things you want in your business. Do you want a medical reimbursement plan and things like that? Well, an S corporation is going to be a horrible way to go. You're actually going to want to either stay with uh, Schedule C, hire your wife, or you're going to want to uh, you know have a C corporation. It depends. Depends on all the things that you want to do in your business. Everyone's first focus is always how do I save money on taxes. What are the things that you need that will dictate how we save you money on taxes, things like that? So nothing is universal. So whenever you come across videos and people kind of start with, this is what rich people always do, or like, then they'll talk about life insurance, or this is, this. <laughs> I have I have 15 entities and this is how I save money. No, probably not. Uh, having multiple entities is not by nature going to save you money, right? So if, if you ever see someone like, this is my, my matrix of saving money because I have five trusts and I have these 10 entities, those things don't matter in and of themselves. Maybe by the way you have certain income flow into certain entities, you're able to you know, defer certain things or you're able to, able to have certain deductions within other entities. But there are, there are so many other factors that go into this that people get tricked into basically thinking that I got to set all these things up and they'll go to an attorney and that attorney will set up five trusts to own things for them, their kids, their wife, everyone, and then it's going to own their shares of the business. And then their accountant is going to come back and say, okay, this is going to cost you an extra $5,000 to do your tax returns every year. Did you think through what's the modicum of either protection that you're looking to get that maybe you could have just bought an umbrella insurance policy because it's going to cost you a lot more to do taxes now and you're not saving anything more in taxes. I had to do a lot more returns, but you're not saving anything. You're just paying me more. You paid him a bunch of money. What else could you have done? We could always talk about those things. Don't ever, eh, I don't know. My, my biggest thing would be take it with a grain of salt. It, it, everything depends. A side conversation here. Let's talk about what you can claim or you can deduct. Because I you had a um, a video where you were talking about how you were able to write off your your two cars. And you could write off most of your house. I loved it. Because I think I see those videos most often be like, oh, you know what? You write it off. Um, you put it as this part of the entity and write it off. It's can let's talk a little bit about writing off and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Sure. So what it all comes down to is what does your business need? Right. There are always going to be things that are going to be generally universal to businesses, such as every business probably needs supplies. Every business uh, probably has a little bit of marketing expense and stuff like that. Like there, there are certain things, software. Very easy to figure out. Yeah, I needed Microsoft Word for my business. Yeah, I, I needed to pay for the CRM for my business. These clearly have business uh, use and no real personal use, right? I, I'm not writing books in my spare time with Microsoft Word. I'm I'm only ever writing letters for people on the templates that we have. That's it. So I'm really using Word for. I'm only using Excel to do sweet sweet uh, accounting things. So I'm not I'm not just doing that in my spare time. Um, like. There are clear and obvious things, right? What is ordinary and necessary for your business and most businesses. But then there are going to be some things where they're specific to your business, such as a vehicle. I, as an accountant, 
uh, I travel, I, I commute to my office every day. I have two offices and I go to uh, them different days of the week. Um, but when I drive from my home to that office, that's just commuting miles. Those are personal technically. So unless I constantly am going from one office to the other office, those, those would be business miles. But unless I'm doing that, I really don't have any business miles. So me needing a car for business, me being able to write off my car, write off my car in my business, it's really not plausible. I would have to, I would have to really stretch. I would have to say, okay, well, I have a home office, so I spend the first number of hours here doing a lot of things, and I only go to the office to kind of manage my employees and stuff like that. But it doesn't really work. That's where all, all my stuff is at the offices. All of my files are there and things like that. So it's not plausible for me. I'm not going to to strain myself to make a home office claim. And so I have no need for a car in my business. But when I was a realtor, I had a huge need for a car in my business. So for that business, it was very important uh, for me to track all the miles that I had to all of my appointments whenever I was going from my my home office where I did actually a lot of my work into my other office um, for that. that was Those were business miles. Like there are a lot more things I had to use my car for because that was a car-based business. Going and doing showings for people was very needed to have a car. So I could actually have a pretty nice car and because a lot of it was deductible, you know, within my business, I could have that Mercedes and it really wasn't as huge a burden on me because I was able to use pre-tax dollars rather than the post-tax dollars to pay for it. it. Made sense. Now I I don't need to have a nice car, which is which is nice because they're expensive to maintain. Um so now I just I just have a car that's nice to commute and I can fit my two kids in the back. So I mean, like that's that's all that really matters to me at this point in time. Because a car isn't necessary for my business. But then you're gonna have other things. So in that video where I'm talking about, uh, you know, I wrote off my entire house. You know, I wrote off my entire mortgage payment. I wrote off everything you see here. I put everything in my LLC. I wrote off my two vehicles. People, when they hear that, right, when they hear people talk about those things, like I, I did this or that, I don't doubt that those people are doing that. And that's what a lot of people are just like, well, they probably are. Yeah, they, they probably are. Um, it doesn't make it correct. You can do a lot of things. Tax fraud is actually really easy. I don't know if people know this. It's really easy to commit tax fraud because all it is is a stroke of the pen, putting that expense on my business and hoping the IRS doesn't audit me to ask more questions about it. So if I have two personal vehicles and I put both of them as being business vehicles and I deduct them completely, right? I say they are 100% being used by my business. It's impossible. How am I How am I getting around personally, right? There's clearly some personal use of those things, but obviously there's there's could be some business use to them. So there, there could be a either a mileage deduction reimbursement I could give myself, or maybe one of my vehicles I use a significant portion of the other one I just use for personal use. There there are ways that you could. And this, there are a number of people that commented, like everything you mentioned there is totally legit. You could take the whole office deduction. You could write off a portion of your mortgage and stuff like this. Or you could you could use your car for business and uh, all this kind of stuff. Uh, of course. But as you noticed by the things I said, without any of that any of the things you said. So you just change the whole situation. Yeah, if I change the, the facts I said, it would be a different fact. But I can't write off my entire mortgage because my entire mortgage includes principal, interest, and all these things. I can only write off a portion of the interest and insurance and taxes in my home office if I take the home office deduction, right? There, nuance is needed. And that's what I want people to understand is nuance is so important in things where, sure, you could take a home office deduction if you have a business if you use your home office for a substantial part of your work, and if you have an exclusively used room, like like this room here, um, 
has a bunch of crap in it, but uh, it's only used as as my studio for recording content at this point in time. So if I wanted to, I could certainly uh, claim this as like a home office and things like that. It could it has exclusive use? I just don't use it that much. Uh, I use it to record every now and again. So for me, it's not really worth trying to make the claim. It's not worth me trying to build up my hours here. It doesn't really make any sense. Uh, yeah. So yeah. from from what I'm hearing is just because you can doesn't mean you should. And if you do, you carry risks with that. Um, and the risks are real. And not that we need to go into any stories, but I'm sure you've seen some bad situations come up because of issues like this in the past. Okay. So um, we've talked about a few things. We've talked about the difference between sole proprietorships and Schedule C's and S-Corps. Uh, we talked about advantages of one over the other. We talked about how that impacts what type of partnership you might have. Uh, we talked about uh, what is appropriate to claim, what's not appropriate to claim. And more importantly, I think most importantly than anything, that is that how nuanced this is. Um, I, I want to wrap up by just explaining that I used to listen to Dave Ramsey all the time, right? And there's some good stuff that he had said, and he he makes some good points about living below your means. Love that. Um, some of the nuances he does go through. Uh, and Dave Ramsey would always say, and I thought this was kind of impressive, that even though he's giving financial advice all the time, he still has a CPA do his taxes for him because you need the expert. You have to have a guy for this. Um, just like you have a mechanic for your car, you can try and change out your spark plugs and you probably do a good job. But if you ever put the uh, rotor cap on wrong, um, you're going to blow up your your engine. Uh, so you can do it. And most of the time it probably would work, especially if you're looking at instructions. But on the off chance that you screw it up, you could really make a mess for yourself. So what I'm taking out of this is if you are either considering uh, starting a business, if you have started a business and things aren't looking uh, up for you or you're confused by it, um, or if you are already in a complicated uh, business structure and you want to evaluate whether you need to change anything up, it's a good idea to find an expert and really seek good advice, uh, solid advice from a licensed professional. Mm -hmm. What I'll say this, my recommendation for everyone is Doing a tax return is fine. I mean, like anyone can can put numbers on a piece of paper, especially a personal tax return. They're not extremely difficult. But when you have a when you have a business, you need an accountant. A taxpayer is fine. That that is something they're going to do for you every year. But you need an accountant to be able to talk about these things, right? So you could say, "Is this a deduction that I can take in my business, or how can I take this?" And then you can go through. Okay, here's the parameters we got to sit behind, right? Because I'm someone who sits and 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 works on these things. I do hundreds of returns every year. Now, I have two partners who do hundreds of returns during the year. There's just so much that I get to glean from all the things that I do and all the different aspects of things that I see. So I'm able to give you a lot of context on a lot of things without having to research it, right? Like like you said, you would Google a lot of stuff. And Google will present to you pretty much every answer that people have wanted to have on that topic. Whereas when you have an expert in the field, they're going to know where to look for that actual base answer. And they're going to have the context to know where the only bit of information they need to find is, right? Like if I want to go find the answer to, you know, a specific tax uh, issue someone's run into, right? Like a specific thing. I know that, okay, I'm going to look at at least 
the IRS or the Internal Revenue Code, a primary source or a secondary source of the IRS, I'm going to look there first. I'm not going to look at articles. I'm not going to look at anything else. And then when I'm looking for this thing, all I need to do is fill in that 10% I don't know. I know 90% of everything else. I know how everything should lead up to this. So I don't need to understand all of that paragraph, you know, whatever I end up reading. I just need to know that one thing that I'm missing. Whereas an individual who goes and researches it, we could go look up the same exact thing, come away with different answers because of how we researched it. Even if they looked at the same place that I looked, at the end of the day, they don't have the context and all the things. So they, they're, they're trying to fill in 90% of their knowledge rather than that 10%. And so that's where an expert is able to find the answer quicker for you and give you a lot more confidence in the thing that you're getting. But I'm an expert in, per se in, in accounting. I'm not an expert in financial advice, in life insurance, things like that. And so I'm always going to defer, go to a financial advisor. They're the ones who are going to provide you that. You know, I'm not an expert on cars at all. Um, I get everything done by a mechanic because I'm an idiot when it comes to cars. I know my limitations. It's totally correct. You should surround yourself with experts in their field because guess what? They're going to get it done correctly the first time. And and maybe I could go spackle a wall or, you know, like put up some drywall and stuff like that, and it'll look okay. But for me, I'd rather it look great. Um, I'd rather it be done quickly and efficiently because that that one guy can get it done in, in 20 minutes. It'll take me three days of YouTubes and, you know, cutting 15 times on five different boards to make sure that it all fits right because it's just not what I do enough. So an accountant... If you have a business, your accountant is your accountant. They're the guy that you're able to ask these tax questions to. You're able to have consultations with. You're able to make sure that you're structured correctly, not just tax preparation. That's the important thing that people need to understand. If you have a business, have an accountant. Should be a cost of doing business anyways for you. And they're going to help make sure that you're a lot more comfortable with all the things that you're doing throughout the year. Yeah, I can attest to that. Um, as I was talking to Nick right beforehand, I, I extended my filing date for my business and personal taxes and recently met with my CPA and I was nervous actually to meet with him. I thought I was in, like getting called to the principal's office and we brought my laptop out, went through QuickBooks and he dispelled all of my concerns, issues and fears uh, in the matter of 10 minutes. And so I would recommend you to go out and find a an accountant or CPA uh, if you have a business and honestly, personal, I, I was doing this before I even had a business. I got a CPA and it really did take a lot of stress off and gave me better direction. Uh, Nick, I really appreciate all your information. I'm hoping because there are a lot of folks that listen who have their side hustles or they run their own business. And this type of information is, is most necessary. So I hope to have you on again. And we can talk about some other specific stuff, uh, stuff that um, is important, especially for the healthcare fields. But what we try to do as well to keep a little humanity among the craziness of life, uh, we're going to take a, a minute just to say something new that we are reading, eating, watching, doing uh, outside of the busyness of life that you're really enjoying. And I can go first if you want to. Uh, everybody who listens knows that I love going to my barn. Uh and I've got this old 1830s barn, uh, massive beams inside. Uh, well, I I do have cats now. Never had them before. Um, I built a cat scratch post out of wood and took an old carpet and made a little hammock thing and bought the twine to wrap it. Um, I I'm not gonna lie. I've been having fun with these. These cats are are out of their mind, but. If my dad would ever listen to this, he would disown me because we were brought up to hate cats. So I didn't think that 
some building a cat tower is going to give me any sort of, and I'm not a cat guy, please, everybody listen, hear me out when I say I am not that cat guy, but it is something that had brought me a little joy this past week. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I don't, I don't know if I can, I can top a a cat story. (laughs) (laughs) Please do. Because that'd be embarrassing if you couldn't, man. Ah, man. For me. You know, the the tough part is, I, I actually think about this quite often is what hobbies do I have? Okay, here I guess here's the thing that I've, I've done lately is uh, I, I enjoy basketball a lot. I, I played college basketball. I played high school basketball and stuff like that. It was fun. It was great. I loved it. Uh, when I graduated and I, I got outside, I, I had to go to a I had to find a gym that had a court and I, I moved somewhere where I was like, it was just too far away. It was too inconvenient. I couldn't do that. And so my, my chance of playing basketball was so rare. Like it was basically like if, you know, we we're going to have like a men's league or something like that or uh, just random times I would play outside, but it's just never the same, right? I would eventually, I, I coach at uh, some camps during the summer for basketball. Still not the same. And I was like, I just want to, I want to have that, uh, that, that just, mo- it's peaceful because, you know, there's, there's nothing else going on. It's just me playing basketball. And so I eventually, we, we had my girls go into school this year. Uh, my, my daughter is now seven. She's in the first grade and I have uh, another daughter who is three and a half. And so she's in uh, pre-K three. We got her uh, in there so my wife can do more of her consulting during the day. And I was like, okay, well, let me see if there's a gym up and around the school when I drop them off at school so I can maybe just go there for my morning uh, gym and maybe there'll be a basketball court. And there was, there is a Gold's gym that has a basketball court. And I was like, okay, well, it's kind of expensive, you know, to go to, to get a gym, you know, it's like usually going to be 50, 80 bucks a month for something like that. This Gold's gym had a deal for $400 for 18 months of a membership. I was like, what? Well, I mean, I can't beat 20-ish bucks a month uh, to go to a gym with a basketball court. And so my current thing that I've, I've enjoyed is uh, I get to go to the gym, play basketball for like 30 minutes. Unfortunately, no one else is there, so it's just me playing by myself. But man, that is a great thing to reintroduce back into my life. It's just a little bit of quiet time, playing some basketball. It's what I've enjoyed. No cats there, but, uh, you know. <laughs> Just some cool cats like me. You want me to show up. But, uh, Nick, really, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Uh, and this is the information that anybody can use, healthcare uh, professionals or not. So keep doing what you're doing, uh, dispelling the misinformation out there and educating folks because it really is beneficial. Uh, love what you're doing out there, man. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, and for everybody else, thank you for listening to another episode of White Coats of the Round Table. If you like what you hear, please uh, review, rate, and even share it. We will see you uh, on our next episode of White Coats of the Round Table. Hope you guys have a great day. Bye.